I am really missing the view that we have to make room for nature next to us, that our organisms have a right to live here. I am afraid that we will really pay for this selfish attitude. Hello and welcome to The Lodgecast, a nature and wildlife podcast brought to you by The Beaver Trust. I'm Sophie Pavel. And I'm Eva Bishop. Each episode, we bring you the latest news from the Beaver Trust as we welcome beavers back to restore our rivers and create resilient landscapes. And we also explore the state of nature in the UK and how beavers can help the climate and biodiversity crises while speaking to fascinating experts and inspiring individuals along the way. In this series, we're looking at what it really means to live with beavers and exploring the situations and solutions when beaver management is necessary. Today, we're speaking with Yitka Ulikova from the Nature Conservation Agency of the Czech Republic and co-author of the Handbook for Coexisting with Beavers. Hello, Sophie, and hello, listeners. Episode two. Welcome hello. back. Thank you very much. Great to be here. I feel like there's there's always a lot going on, but it's a special time of year where there are lots of releases happening which are always a very happy thing. So why don't we just kick straight off with an update on beaver releases that are happening at the moment? Yes, I mean, we've had new licences and beavers across sites uh, this year, like Ealing and the National Trust site at Wallington in Northumberland, and even up at the Cairngorms. Uh, So where they're looking at wild releases of beavers. Mm. And Beaver Trust has taken part in some of their beautifully titled beaver blethers, So a series of stakeholder engagement events uh, where pre-licensed application, where you can come and meet the experts and find out more about what's going to happen at that site. Yeah, they're really important. And I think engaging with the public and the people who are going to be ultimately the communities living alongside those wild populations to involve them at this stage, hopefully is a really important part of them feeling empowered in, in the changes that will that will take place in the landscape as a result of beavers. So it's a really exciting, important journey for us to be following and being a part of. Indeed. And we've also seen beaver kits back inside the M25. <gasps> so the Enfield happy, happy. Uh, have had their first kit, which is really super sweet. Mm, and beavers in the M25. Who would have thought? <laughs> exactly. Not on the M25, obviously. Um, but yeah, One very day. exciting, super exciting for people in London as well, you know, and also for the beaver pair because it shows that they're settled in their new home. So that's really good news for us. Yeah, very much exciting news to uh, to start the week. Indeed, love it. So we're talking to someone from the Czech Republic today. Have you ever been there, Sophie? No, I haven't. It's actually well, many parts of Eastern Europe uh, have places that I'd love to visit. There's many a mountain to climb and many a forest to roam and a lake to dip in from what i hear how about you that's a good list i have actually i've been to prague and um which is a striking city it's really lovely and different from those in britain Uh, as i'm sure you're aware and actually beavers were spotted there last year so that's kind of cool cool Um, yeah but i think it's a fascinating place that beavers are also returning across the czech republic to their original occurrence range um because their population has been growing for 30 years so they've got a lot of beavers there Mm. um and they now have a management plan for beaver which is framed around this need to solve issues in the context of human agricultural land use so there's a lot to learn from this lady today i'm really looking forward to meeting her yeah, that does sound really interesting. And um, so we're looking at the, the European context. We're going to be looking at how beavers are managed across 
huge landscapes over a long period of time. But I think I'd certainly find it helpful if we just re-clarified a bit of terminology here. So we're saying the word mitigation a lot, we're saying the word management a lot, but it strikes me that actually those two mean slightly different things under different contexts. So either when I say the word mitigation, for example, what does that mean? What does that tell us? So jargon busting. I've just got jargon busters, but to the tune of Ghostbusters in my head. Um, <laughs> nice. Good image. Um, so mi- <laughs> mitigation versus management. I think they're used synonymously and I think that's okay. But for me, management is the action and mitigation is the result. So you're mitigating the impact of beavers through management okay. techniques. Okay, so you're not mitigating the animal itself. You're mitigating the impact that that animal has had simply by doing its thing yeah. on a landscape. I'd say so. Okay. Yeah, if that, that helps helpful. everyone. Let's assume it does. Um <laughs> So we, we've navigated, we've been introduced to the fact that there's a management hierarchy as we chatted with Mike in the last episode um, about the North American perspective. But I think with our guests today, we're keen to get into the specifics of beaver management in action. So maybe with the help of scenario-led stuff. So if beaver does X, what management tool will we implement and where do we go from there? Our guest today literally wrote the handbook for coexisting with beavers. Yitka is a zoologist with a PhD degree in vertebrate zoology. She works for the Nature Conservation Agency of the Czech Republic, which is an expert body of their Ministry of Environment Agency. She works at the headquarters in Prague in the division where action plans for endangered animal species and management plans for conflict species are implemented. She is the coordinator of the Beaver Management Plan, and she confesses that beavers are close to her heart. Well, Yitka, welcome to the Lodgecast. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, Thanks a lot. Uh, I am really grateful for invitation, and really, uh, for the first time, I am inside the Lodge. (laughs) Lovely. (laughs) Welcome to the Lodge. I hear you have um, two children and a guinea pig over there in Prague. Is that right? And have you ever seen the beavers that we hear are in Prague? Uh, yes, I've seen beavers uh, in Prague. Now we have maybe 100 beavers uh, in the city. They uh, have been coming from 2015 and uh, there are still wow. more and more beavers. <laughs> Fantastic. Nice. Do you take your children to see them sometimes? Uh, yes, especially my daughter. She loves them. Oh, great. I have two children too, and my son gets very excited about the beavers. Anyway, um, it's such a pleasure to have you with us. So thank you um, for giving us the opportunity to learn from a European beaver expert. And we're looking forward to giving you some questions in a minute. But first, we would love you to judge this week's beaver fact off. So Sophie and I are going to give you a couple of facts and then we'd like you to choose which one you prefer. Mm-hmm. I am curious. <laughs> Good. Uh, well, I'll um, I'll start with my fact first. Now, this is what well, I found this very interesting, but it's to do with inbreeding. So when related animals get together, as it were. And actually, in social animals like beavers, inbreeding happens a lot more often than you think. Um, whether it's siblings mating with parents or vice versa. Uh, Moving on, it is actually a survival strategy in some cases whereby isolated animals can ensure that they 
produce offspring that are adapted and have the genetic tools for life in the environment that they were born into. So it's kind of like a an insurance policy to ensure that they've got maybe a basic level of genetic wherewithal or information to allow them to adapt to their home environment. But I just also want to have a disclaimer that repeated inbreeding is not a good idea and can lead to uh, something called inbreeding depression, which we do not want. But this is, of course, mitigated by lots of genetic testing and, and research in wild beaver populations. So that's my fact. Inbreeding can be a good thing in some cases for beavers, but too much of it is not a good thing. <laughs> Complex. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for that, Sophie. That's quite interesting You're to welcome. hear. Um, So my fact, Yitka, uh, takes us down the road of pollutants and nutrients, uh, which is very topical because nutrient neutrality in Britain is a hot topic at the moment. Um, And I read recently that beaver damming can increase the total nitrogen accumulation in the sort of trapped sediment and the uptake by aquatic vegetation. It can increase the total nitrogen accumulation by nine to 44 times. So it's a real sink of some of those nutrients and nutrient cycling back into the soil. So that's my fact. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's a difficult <laughs> question for me because I am zoologist. So uh, the first uh, theory of inbreeding is interesting for me. But uh, now I am beaver manager. <laughs> so... <laughs> I chose the second information uh, because it's extremely important and it's also an argument why to have beaver dams in our landscape. Yes. Oh, <laughs> Yitka, thank what you. What a well-justified answer. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, that's actually more justified than most people's usually are, the yeah. choices. So that's very good. <laughs> I appreciate your kind your kind words about my fact. Yitka, thank you. That was, that was very well navigated. <laughs> yeah, um, <it> was. <laughs> Right. <laughs> well right. done, Eva. So let's learn about some beavers and your experience of them. To start off with, how many beavers are there in the Czech Republic these days? Uh, yes, we have quite a recent estimation of population size. It's from 2020 and we have around 50,000 beavers. So I oh, have wow. 50,000 hairy, toothy and sometimes very naughty children. <laughs> <laughs> hairy, toothy, naughty children. Amazing. That's what this episode is going to be called. <laughs> <laughs> and a plus to my own, yes. <laughs> I don't suppose Amazing. you have much time for those two. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yitka, I think before we get into the rest of the, the conversation, we'd love to understand a little bit more about what led you to this unique line of work. You know, mm-hmm. What was the journey of your career to lead you to be Working and managing with 50,000 toothy, hairy, naughty children. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It it was uh, fate, you know. Uh, I was a zoologist that was scientist maybe for five five years or something like that. And uh, before my maternity leave, I started to work in the nature protection and I took part in a preparation of the beaver management plan. And after return from my maternity leave, management plan was just adopted. 
And it was before 10 years and beavers became my words. Mm. <laughs> Lovely. And is there ever a, I can't imagine there is, but is there ever a typical day for you in the world of beaver management across such huge river catchment areas? Uh, it's like beavers, nothing is typical, yes. <laughs> and just uh, today in the morning, I uh, obtained a question from one person, fisherman. Uh, he was fishing and he fell into beaver burrow. He's fishing. Oh. Yes, his fishing costume is damaged, and he asks for compensation, financial. So it's wow. yes, it's typical. <laughs> okay. Uh, conflict situation. Uh, everything can happen, and in the field, uh, for me, it's uh, beaver monitoring, uh, solving problems, testing preventive measures, negotiations with angry people. And in the office is uh, making policy, writing articles, consultant service, of course, looking for information, thus no borders and uh, non-stop work. Wow. Amazing. And have you worked across Europe, European countries, or do you just work in Czech Republic on your beaver management? Uh, yes, I am responsible for beaver management in the Czech Republic, but uh, I visited uh, surrounding countries uh, to hear experience, knowledge, information is extremely important for me. And I took part in uh, Beaver Conferences International. It's very valuable for me. Because mm. as you probably know, um, here in Britain, we navigate our beaver management scenarios using a hierarchy. And first is prioritizing education and conversation with people and seeing if they're willing to live with the beaver that's turned up on their land. And then uh, when necessary, it's practical mitigation actions. Is it like that in Europe? Have you seen differences in approach? As far as I know, in Great Britain, you started with management from the beginning. And I think it's really great because you prepare people for return. And I think you are ahead of the beavers. And unfortunately, hmm. in the Czech Republic, we started with beaver management when the population size was 6,000 beavers and it's too late. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. Okay. And that is really interesting. Yeah. And this education I find very important, for example, for children. They are really clear and a white page. And uh, for me, it's the main target. But honestly, I can't imagine just uh, education and conversation. Because I have experience when uh, people have problems with beavers, where you want to hear solution. It's something if you are ill, you go to doctor. You want to mm. hear what will be. And people want to hear measure or financial compensation. And for me, it's really the worst situation when only words remain. Then people are frustrated. They have feeling that state prevent beavers. They mm. mustn't interfere against them, but state doesn't help them. Mm. Yeah, and for me, it's a really bad situation and I understand people. Yeah, mm. that's why I don't understand how it works. <laughs> it would be for me interesting because people are asking for solutions. Talking 
of solutions, Danyika, do you take the problems that you encounter on a river, do you have to take them on a sort of case-by-case basis? So if the beaver was to flood an area of agricultural land, you then have certain management tools that you would implement there and then. Or if down the river they were to flood a local road and cut off a nearby village or community, could you maybe walk us through the different scenarios that you encounter and, and how you tackle them? Yes. Each conflict situation is unique. Yes, because you have different landscape, different mentality of people. Some people want to cooperate, some people don't want. You have different property rights, uh, financial situation, and you must look uh, for unique solution on each locality. And uh, the most important information is how serious the conflict is. Yes. Uh, that means spread to people or huge economic loss. Then for me, beavers are on the second place. People are on the first place. But uh, opposite situation, for example, agricultural landscape, uh, beavers, beaver dam are extremely important. Water purification, silt trap, and so on. And I try my best. Dams can stay. Yeah, but it's hard work. <laughs> so, for example, flooding agricultural land, we have compensation for farmers, or we can try some measures, but it's uh, it's difficult, these measures, because uh, usually you find money somewhere, but problem is maintenance of these preventive measures, for example, drainage of beaver dams. Because somebody must take care of it and somebody must be responsible for it. And that's my worst problem using these uh, preventive measures. For example, you mentioned damages on the forests. Uh, this way, uh, this situation you can prevent by PR because people should know that all deciduous trees may be in the distance 20 meters from the bank line can be cut mm. by beavers and all coniferous trees are not safe. This kind of conflict, I can say I like because I can prevent them somehow or give people information what to do. That makes sense. If it's something that you can practically help with, yes, you know, yes. that's going to uh-huh. feel like a, a good action, isn't it? We'd like to pick on to one of the things we're doing with this series is trying to explain beaver management. Can we take two specific actions and have you talk through the detail? So maybe you could explain what it means to do dam notching. What's the what was the purpose of that? Uh, yes, uh, uh, dam notching then means uh, that you little bit damage beaver dam but only a little bit to lower water level to point which is not conflict that means you are looking for compromise between beaver needs and human but it's a problem because uh, nobody knows how long it will be functional how long will beaver accept it yes because they need a certain 
water column, it may be 70 or 80 centimeters. And if you lower the water level too much, they will not accept it. They will reconstruct them or build new one. And okay, and go build a new one as well, not just yes, rebuild yes. that one. And okay. that's <laughs> the worst situation because you can't predict what will be, what to say people. It depends on individuality of beavers, season, water level, and the role of a dam for beavers. And hmm. you have these factors and nobody knows what will be. <laughs> yes. And what about the more controversial one about lethal control? What happens there um, in Czech Republic with that? Uh, in our cultural landscape, unfortunately, beavers can be everywhere and each country has its apple of discord in different places. For example, in Netherlands, uh, beaver burrows in water dikes are very risky. True. And in the Czech Republic, these are uh, waterworks. We have more than 30,000 fish ponds. It's part of Whoa. our history and cultural history. Some of them were built in the 16th century. And huh. uh, wow. beaver burrows can destroy dams of these fish ponds and water can flood houses or villages uh, which are below fish ponds. Mm. And uh, such occasion, if beaver really destroy beaver dams, we allow elimination of beavers. Uh, special permission must be issued. And until now, these are the only localities uh, where beavers can be killed. But I don't like this mm, solution because it's not the solution. If beavers are everywhere, new beavers will come. So it's never ending circle. And the only conceptual way, way is uh, to reconstruct fish pond and to apply measure, for example, big stones or wire to prevent beavers from digging. But it's a lot of money and nobody has such mm. amount of money. So it's really long term future to coexist for beavers to think of them and during reconstruction waterworks to think of beavers and to apply particle measures. And it's for decades. It's not for me, it's for next generation. So it's part of, you know, you've got some serious potential cultural impact there from beavers. But despite that, yes, and you're it, still... Yeah, you're very supportive of it and, and lethal controls are a necessary part of that. Yes, you know, because it, it's really difficult. It, if something happened, I am afraid one day something will happen. Uh, it will strongly influence public perception of beavers. Then uh, mm. they will be really passed and it will be extremely difficult to change it. So mm. I think now it's better to prevent it this way, unlike uh, I don't like it, yes, but it gives me more sense. You're taking the long-term view, yes. basically. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yitka, you said something that uh, I found really interesting and actually almost a pleasant, a pleasant surprise. Earlier in the chat, you mentioned that Britain 
will you consider Britain to actually be ahead of the beaver in terms of we're implementing management techniques before the population expands and we're, we're being proactive and not reactive? Do you think that Britain is behind the rest of Europe with regards to returning beavers to river catchments in the climate and biodiversity crisis? And you've alluded to it already, but have you found it a challenge to get people to have faith and trust in the management that you're implementing? I really don't think that Britain is behind. Uh, you, ha- you are in different situation because beavers can't swim through the English Channel. So you must solve it different ways. And you have a group of people which works on bringing beavers back. I think it's quite unique, this effort. Hmm. So for me, it's fascinating when I compare it with the situation in the Czech Republic. And the second question, you know, a management of beavers, it's actually management of people. And this is the problem. Yeah. Hmm. And the first thing is that we feel like we were masters of the world. We want quick solutions. The first thought is there is a problem with the beavers, so let's them shoot. Uh, the second thing is that I am really missing the view that we have to make room for nature next to us, that our organisms have a right to live here. I am afraid that we will really pay for this selfish attitude. And this public perception is a really difficult thing because it's strongly influenced by media. I Mm. calculated roughly in the Czech Republic each month two negative news about beavers are issued. Wow. And... uh, you have biological capacity, that means how many beavers can be in the Czech Republic based on water, woods, and so on. And then there is cultural capacity, how many beavers are acceptable for people. And it's yeah. strongly influenced by public perception. Uh, for example, I use comparison, it's not perfect, but there is wasp. And there is B. Yeah. Do do people kill wasp or do people kill bee? Or how they look at them. And for me, it's the main target of my work to work with this perception of beavers, to have arguments why are beavers so important in our landscape. And mm. and for my work, I have motto. I can quote our former president Václav Havel that this optimism and hope is not a conviction that something will turn out well, but the certainty mm. that something makes sense regardless of how it turns out. And for me, it's a motto for my work because I don't know really if I will succeed. Hmm. That is absolutely beautiful and so insightful as well. It's, it's so interesting to hear this, Yuka. Um, You did mention there the need for humans to make space for nature and the fact that we will ignore that to our detriment. 
One of the things that we are looking at with beavers is the idea of buffer zones and, you know, set aside from rivers so that beavers and other nature can have space to exist. Now, we're talking to Gerhard later in the series, who understands the sort of context in Bavaria, where they have some buffer zones. What's your experience of that? Is it something that you've tried to implement, sort of standing back from the river a bit and reducing the number of beaver conflicts? Yes, I think it's the only conceptual solution how to improve ecologic and morphologic state of our streams. And I think it would be really great to have such a measure in the Czech Republic. As far as I know, the width of the buffer belt should be at least 20 meters. In this width, uh, there is a chance it uh, will work uh, functionally. And as far as I know, in Bavaria, the width is shorter. It's 5 or 10 meters uh, based on owner of uh, this land. But I think that it's better than nothing. Yeah, and hmm. I think it's more important for streams, of course, for beavers. But different pesticides or fertilizers go to water or mud from fields and it can a little bit prevent this inflow. Mm. So there are there are a number of benefits, aren't there? And it's not something you've got yet, but you can see that it could be a, a solution. Yeah, conceptual solution of the only. Yeah. Quite a tangent here. I'm quite, I really like wolves and bears and things and the <laughs> idea of more of that. Have you ever heard of or come across beavers interacting with those large predators that uh, just aren't in Britain? Yes, yes. And uh, wolves uh, have been returning to the Czech Republic. We have 24 territories. Inside <gasps> is eight, Ooh, amazing. 18, is wool, 18 wolf packs and management plans uh, for these large carnivores are implemented in my division, in my organization. Wow. Yes, and we have uh, uh, 120 lynxes. Mm. And I think that uh, each missing species is a gap in natural ecosystem and it's bad. Mm. So I really welcome return of wolves. Uh, but I think that to find the way how to coexist uh, with this extremely clever and adaptable animals, it will be challenged. Mm. Yes. And, but unfortunately, we can't say mm, that uh, to have these Animals back means that our ecosystems are healthy. Perhaps our mm, food pyramid or food chain are more functional, but unfortunately that's all. And I must say personally that I think that too much attention and perhaps, perhaps too much money is paid for that that it's more politics than nature protection. It's about emotion, uh, scaring people, trench warfare of different group, group of interest. And perhaps the main actors of nature stage are different. They are small. These are insects or earthworms. Aristotle called earthworms that they are the intestines of the earth. That's an amazing, an amazing analogy. Yitka, just 
as we near the end of, of our conversation, you co-authored a brilliant handbook on coexisting with beavers, which literally does what it says in the title. It's um, an incredibly pragmatic, practical and important read. With your experience, and you've already given us so much wisdom already, but do you have any further advice that you'd like to offer us here in Britain with regards to beaver management and how to navigate the next few years of of this process? I don't feel like a person who should be giving advice. Beavers really taught me humility. <laughs> So I really cross my fingers, don't give up. It will be a long way, <laughs> yes. And I think in ideal world, uh, beaver management should be based on five pillars. And each country fulfills these pillars differently based on its economic situation, subsidy titles, politics, and so on. And these five pillars are uh, PR consultant service because people must have confessor mm. and uh, also uh, supporting preventive measures, uh, compensation of damages and also elimination of beavers. If all these five pillars uh, work, I think there is a hope that uh, public perception of beavers uh, will be positive. Can I ask one clarifying question? You've mentioned compensation twice now. Who pays for that? And what sort of volume of money is that for the Czech Republic? Mm -hmm. uh, state uh, pay for this compensation. We have a particular law. It's also for large carnivores. And in the case of beaver uh, damages, caused by beavers on trees and crops are compensated by state. That both problems, uh, cutting of trees, but also flooding of trees, and also cutting of crops or eating crops, these damages are really not so serious, but flooding of crops, uh, this is a serious problem. Okay. That's good. To and hear. the amount of money, uh, sorry, I am able only to say in crowns, <laughs> just later calculate. That's all right. A bit of homework for our listeners yes, afterwards. Yes. <laughs> uh, per year, it's about nine million crowns. crowns. Okay. It's really interesting. It's part of a big pot there, you say, for large mammals. It's not just about beavers. There's a, there's a pot of money available for compensation. Yes, uh, it's. An, um, I can say we don't think it's a compensation. It's a kind of protection of these yeah. animals because yeah. it's uh, uh, the way how to improve their PR. Mm, exactly. Well, we try to steer away from the word compensation because actually we need to coexist, <laughs> and they have mm. a they have a valid space in our landscape just alongside us, as you said yourself. Because state state is not responsible for these animals. It's uh, somehow how to coexist to them and to help people. Okay. Uh, our producer's just done some quick maths, and that's £3.2 million pounds mm -hmm. in Britain for listeners um, per year. Thank, Thank you, Emma. Well done. Um, <laughs> producer Emma to the rescue. 
Yitka, I think that's pretty much all we've got time for today, but I have found Flown it by. incredible to listen to your experience and learn from the Czech Republic experience and so much respect for the complexity of your interview in a second language. It's mm. amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. And I think, well, I certainly am going to be pitching to senior team at Beaver Trust for a trip out Indeed. To the Czech Republic to be learning from you. <laughs> and we'll bring producer Emma along as well. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, it was for me really a pleasure. I was nervous before that. Oh. I must say because it's for me difficult to think in uh, English and to say the right thing, but... It's incredible. It was really nice for me and really uh, once more thank you for your invitation. You're so welcome. A great pleasure to have you on. Oh, wow. Yitka, what an amazing woman. That was one of my favourite podcast interviews ever. Oh, me I think. too. I think she was, um, she'd put a lot of effort into preparing for that, but so much to learn from mm. that lady. And then Beavers taught me humility is my favourite oh, quote. Oh my gosh. Oh. There is so, I feel like we could have a, we could have a, a jar that we dip into every day that's full of little wisdom nuggets from from Yitka. There were so many moments and she phrased things so beautifully that kind of left me a bit speechless and I didn't really know what question to ask next because I was just <laughs> ruminating on what she had just said. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Hopefully you listeners are similarly mm. sitting back contemplating. But um, yeah, lots of stuff to learn there. Education of children being important. Mm -hmm. The fact that they've got 50,000 beavers and there's some real cultural history to protect there and it's oh, it's fascinating to dive into another country's beaver management. Yeah. Actually, it was and really it was her useful. birthday. She told Aww. us as we stopped recording that it was her birthday. So thank you again, Yitka, for sparing the time on your special day. <laughs> yes, happy birthday, Yitka! Now it's time to quiz you, Sophie, oh, no. on your knowledge around very loosely, uh. very loosely related to beaver families and their monitoring. Oh. Forgive me. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. We're diving into the lodge. Um, Splash. <laughs> question one. <laughs> Looking at year-old beavers, how do one-year-old yeah. males compare? How do one-year-old males compare? A, they behave in a... Oh, my God. <laughs> multiple choice. I'm always relieved when multiple choice questions come up. Uh, a, they behave in a similar way to kits. B, they behave in a comparable way to adult beavers, suggesting they develop more quickly than females. Or C, they spend five times their time patrolling compared with yearling females. Ooh. I'm going to go with the last one because I think that would be really interesting if that were true. Unfortunately, it's A. Oh. That's what the females oh. do. So the females spend five of times. Course of is. course it is. <laughs> In this Barbie world. Um, yeah, exactly. So they do. So the year, it is quite interesting, I think. So the year old males mm. behave in a similar way to kits, whereas year old females behave in a comparable way to adult beavers, suggesting that they develop I mean, more quickly. It was ever thus, was it not? <laughs> Bit of a shoe in that one. Right, question yeah. two. What is a floater? <laughs> Sorry? Uh, I did warn you about this quiz. What is a floater? <laughs> Sorry, did he just call this together in the last two minutes? Uh, gosh, now, um, A, is it a four-year-old uh, beaver reluctant? <laughs> reluctant to what? 
Is it a four-year-old beaver reluctant to leave its family territory? Very specific. Beaver scat, particularly heavy in willow content. Or C, (laughs) C, a temporary guest beaver within an established territory. (laughs) Is that one a a metaphor? (laughs) A guest beaver. Uh, Oh, I don't think it's going to be the four-year-old kit one because that's a far too specific age. Um, And I feel like a bit old. Oh, quiz psychology coming in Um, here. Um... What was the middle one, sorry? Beaver scat. Uh, something. Ah, right. Particularly mm-hmm. heavy and willow. Heavy and willow, floater. I can't really imagine Roisin going down a river and saying, oh, that's a, there's a floater for you. Because they're sort of pellety, aren't they? I, I feel like they would all float to some degree. Um, so I'm going to go for C again. Well done, it, it is C. Oh, so amazing. So it's basically a beaver that wonders, it doesn't have a territory and is loitering hoping that it can uh, move in if another beaver dies um and take over so it's a temporary guest beaver within an established territory a a floater there you are fact question three (laughs) let's move on finally monitoring can be carried out to study a family group for example enabling dna analysis one such method removes um, sorry one such method involves remote hair sampling so you don't need to capture the animal to sample the hair how do researchers trap beaver hair to achieve this? A. Barbed wire is hung close to the ground near to the water's edge. Oh, B. Dodgy. Researchers visit beaver lodge areas during the day when beaver activity is low and meticulously search recent forage and coppice areas for beaver hairs. Or C. Hmm. A sticky resin glue is applied to trees ad- adjacent to beaver scent mounds where they regularly visit. Huh. Um... I feel like it's got to be B. I feel like you've got to go and identify when they're least active. You're going to disturb them the least and, and look for the old, uh, old hair on the Home old... Home for hairs, if you will. Bit of... Uh... <laughs> In actual fact, the, they yeah. hung barbed wire 20 centimetres no. off the ground. Yeah, and it picked up um, the coarse wow. guard hairs as well as the sort of fine hairs. Yeah. Well, fair enough. Well, I suppose if you think about barbed wire, it's covered in sheep wool yeah, exactly. and uh, other things. So exactly. why not be Quite beavers? an effective one. Well done, yeah. well done. We can step back out of Thank the lodge you. now with gratitude. Did I actually get? I got one. Did I get one point? You got one point. I yeah, got one. good work. Oh. Thank you. I enjoyed. I enjoyed that very much, actually. Excellent. <laughs> Hope the listeners did too. Luckily, that's it for this episode of the Lodgecast. Uh, but do not worry, because we will be back again in your ears next week as we are joined by not one but two guests in a double whammy looking at the beaver licensing landscape with Dr. Rasheen Campbell-Palmer and Dr. Jenny Bryce. So make sure you don't miss that one. In fact, make sure you've subscribed to the Lodgecast on your podcast platform of choice so that you don't miss it. And please be sure to leave us a review. And for more from us at Beaver Trust, don't forget that you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Beaver Trust or head over to our website, beavertrust.org and sign up for our free email newsletter this podcast as always is a mixture of fact and opinion it was hosted by sophie pavel and eva bishop it was produced and edited by emma brisdian for beaver trust